morning. So it's about 6.30 on the 4th of February, 2014. About 25 degrees out here, I guess. I know I said 32 degrees was my cutoff. But uh, just had to get out. I did a morning walk the other day. I mean, two days ago. And I was so, I mean, worn out. I mean, my legs were killing me. My back and everything made me say, I am really out of shape. So, starting to get back into shape. Starting to get out and do it again. I gave myself a day to recover. And actually, it's kind of funny because the day after I did the morning walk, the whole family walked to the grocery store. So, ended up doing another two miles that way. Even though it hurt. So, I rested on the next day. Uh, and uh, then there was that Super Bowl that got in the way. How about that game, man? Oh, that was funny. I mean, all right, not funny if you're a big Broncos fan. I get that. But if you are a fan of human drama, well, that was just the best show of the year so far. So many jokes. I felt bad because I was in a Bronco household, so we were trying to be supportive. I personally didn't care. But you know, we were trying to be supportive of the uh, of the family. Our friends were Broncos fans, so we were trying to be helpful there. Oh, but man, the jokes are hilarious. I saw one of Peyton Manning say, I tried to throw in the towel, but they intercepted it. Uh, anyway, so sorry if any of you guys are Broncos fans. I'm not meaning to be rude. Apologize. Anyway, so yeah, 25 degrees out. So I have slipped on the ice more than once today. Not bad, just enough to look comical, you know. So you should have yakety sacks at the ready in case this becomes a hilarious video. <sighs> what else? I'll admit I haven't gotten a lot done on my novel. I got 11 pages of my script, my first script done. It's, uh, I think they'd call it urban fantasy. Because I have modern day story with paranormal aspects. One thing I'm looking forward to is, I decided this yesterday, 
one of the guy's superpowers. He didn't control it, but it uh, it doesn't affect him. I mean, it affects him, of course, but it doesn't cost him anything. I have another guy who has one of the supreme superpowers, one of the classic, if you've got this, it's just a game changer, you're always going to win kind of superpowers. But uh, every time he uses it, splitting headache, nosebleeds, that kind of thing. There was a uh, Dean R. Kuntz story a while back where there was a guy who could teleport, but every time he did, it scrambled his brain a little bit. Well, scrambled all of his body. It was slowly killing him. I thought that was pretty cool. I like the idea of penalties for superpowers. You don't see that a lot. Anyway. So, what else? Yeah, I got about 11 pages on the script. I figure that's about six minutes. Probably coming up to my first commercial break. I'm sort of picturing this as a TV show. Because, of course, everybody assumes that the very first thing you're going to sell is your own new TV show. Executives are just looking scrambling for an opportunity to buy a new TV show from a completely unknown author. They love that stuff. And if I sound cynical, that's just because, you know, I am. But what I'm doing right now is not to sell so much as it is to show people that I could write. The script itself may not sell. Alright, I'm getting on the grass. This is too icy. The script itself may not sell, but the uh, but it will stand as an example of what I can do for others who might say, hey, I've got this urban fantasy story. Looks like you can write urban fantasy. How about you give me a rough draft of something in this story. I mean, this storyline. Then I say, okay! Put that together in a week or so. Then they send me a check for a billion dollars. And then we go to Disney World and live there forever. Tell me at what point you find this far-fetched. Anyway. Yeah, I'm cynical. So, I hit some very weird point on social media recently. And it came partially upon the death of Philip Seymour Hoffman. I always thought he was a great actor. I wasn't like his groupie 
Don't have any t-shirts of him. Didn't go sneaking into his home to find cuttings of his nails or anything. But uh, I liked his work. Thought he was a good actor. When he was found dead of a presumed heroin overdose, I was saddened, but I wasn't terribly surprised. He struck me as someone who was very passionate about his uh, work, and he was becoming a star for playing character actors, which is, man, that's a tough row to hold. <laughs> row to hoe. It's a tough job. So I had a great respect for him. At the same time, I knew he's probably more of an avant-garde actor than most people give him credit for. If he played a part where he spoke nothing but French and wore a beret, you would not be too terribly surprised. So yeah, when we found out that he died of an overdose, I wasn't surprised. I was sad, but I wasn't surprised. And yet, my social media stream was choked with people saying, he wasn't great, he was a junkie, stop trying to glorify drugs. Man, I don't even. I also saw a lot of, what are they gonna do for the next Hunger Games? Because let's face it, you can reduce a man to the works he will not be able to do. Anyway, so I reached a point where I started seeing those and I just said I don't care. Not about Philip Seymour Hoffman, I didn't really seriously care about that anyway, but I didn't care about the angst. There was a time, just a year or so ago, when I would have gone absolutely nuts with calling these people down. I would have gone mad with, he was a human being, you're a bunch of jerks, that kind of stuff. And, uh, well, let me compound it by saying the other thing that I noticed recently, which was the rampant, yeah, well, I don't care about your Super Bowl posts. This is me not caring about who wins at football. And don't get me wrong, I don't care who wins at football. But I neither see myself as a martyr for having to listen to people talk about the Super Bowl, nor do I see myself as better than just because I don't care about it. And that is definitely the impression that a lot of people want to leave. 
Now, I'll post the, uh, hey, one team sports more than the other team, and they made more points. Yay, team. You know, that kind of stuff's funny. That kind of, I don't care. It's just funny. Let's all go out there and play a good game of baseball. That kind of stuff is funny. But the, uh, I don't like your game. I'm sick of dealing with you. But my favorite is, uh, I'm not going to sit around and pretend like a bunch of millionaires running into each other matters. Oh my God. Get down off the cross because somebody made a TV show that you are so proud you don't have to watch. So, anyway. So we got that. We got Philip Seymour Hoffman. We got Super Bowl. And... (coughs) Excuse me. In addition to that, there's this guy. Now, I travel in a fairly small, cliquish community of podcasters. Which is to say, Geek and Sundry doesn't know my name. I'm smaller and cliquisher than that. This is mostly sci-fi fantasy, audiobooks, or novels, writers, talking to writers, that kind of thing. So I read a lot of Wendig, and uh, Chuck Wendig, Catherine Roosh, oh, whoever that other guy's name is, the one I can never remember, Conrath, he's good. But it's a books group that knows me and picks up the phone when I call. So there was a guy a few years back who got really big in this small little niche. He got a name for himself as one of the most important voices. And he was most famous for for treating it like a business, which of course it is. And we should be treating it like a business. And uh, his art was, yeah, it was all right. A little pedestrian, but whatever. What he's best known for though, was his excellent promotion. His ability to sell the pedestrian art. And he did it well. Unfortunately, he never really grasped the fact that we are a small niche. He never really understood that being the biggest man out of about five or 10,000 people It's not as impressive as it sounds. When he got a chance at the big leagues, 
He sold himself as one of the big names in a growing community. And uh, traditional publishing embraced him. Said, okay, let's see what you can do. And that was when he found out that being a big man in a small community means very little in big publishing. So he got desperate. If I don't prove that I can hack it with the traditional publishers, then it's not my failing. It's this whole community. They've raised me up as their god. And if they can't bring the sales, then what's wrong with that community? And he even made the mistake of making that argument in an interview. Saying people just didn't show up to support me well enough. And that was why my books never took off. So, he got more or less castigated for that. People were shocked that he would basically turn on the uh, audience and treat them like the wallets that he treated them like. And so he laid low. He found new places to work. He found new avenues, things to do. But the whole time, he had planned to come up with a new business strategy, a new way of gathering the people so that they aren't such a small group and so that they'll be more fervent in their work for him. Because, of course, you know, it's their job to work for him. Anyway, so, yeah, I listened to a interview yesterday. The host is someone that I have a certain amount of respect for. Because the guy... He works hard. He does the writing. He does the promotion every day out there. Shaking his ass, trying to get it sold. He's doing the self-publishing thing, partially because he doesn't think he can get traditional publishers. I don't know if he's actually tried. Sit. Stay. I'm going to take our picture at this point. Next to the no fountain. Stay. Goopuppy. So... Stay. Uh, sit. Good puppy. Ripley. Good girl. Okay. So, uh, yeah, he. The blog host did an interview, about a 45 minute interview with this guy. And because he's a nice guy, because he's invited this guy onto his show, because he's trying to 
help everybody promote everything. He was doing a lot of softball stuff. Oh, he's such a great promoter. Oh, I really love your work. Tell us all about your previous books. That kind of thing. And at one point you could see a little bit of it shining through. Tell us about how you blamed your listeners for your lack of success. Tell us more about that. At one point he almost did that, but he backed away from it. Because he's a nice guy. Doesn't want to cause problems. <sighs> Meanwhile, the uh, slick sales businessman made a big thing, and this is what amazed me, made a big thing in the interview about how he was hoping to get his audience back so that he could better use them as assets. I mean, don't get me wrong, I didn't expect a mea culpa with, man, I really shouldn't have done that. I should have accepted that my book is going to do as well as my book does. This may have been a promotion problem on my end, that kind of stuff. I didn't expect that. What I also didn't expect was, I'm planning to get all of them back, get all of my readers and listeners back, since I've been gone so long, doing other things. I plan on getting them back so that I can use them again. And I swear to God, at one point, I even heard him blaming them once again, saying stuff like, I just hope this time they will support me. I mean, it's like I could read tomorrow's headline. This creative goes on another rant where he says that his lack of success was due to the fans not doing enough for him. Clark Gregg, the guy who uh, plays Phil Coulson on uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., he went on Twitter yesterday and said, I don't know if it was yesterday, but recently, and said, uh, if you're not caught up on S.H.I.E.L.D., you're not a geek, you're a loser. And uh, he backtracked from that one pretty fast, but, you know, it was funny. Because there's a lot of people who just aren't into Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. It's just not there. Someday, maybe, but... Nah, not right now. It's a TV show. It's not even a Whedon TV show. Not yet. They may make it that way later, but right now, it's just a bunch of people we don't care about. So anyway, um... So yeah, you got Philip Seymour Hoffman, you've got the Super Bowl, and then listening to this interview yesterday with this pedestrian writer 
who's so desperate to make sales. <laughs> At one point, he actually said, uh, finding out what price is good for the listener is easy, but you got to find out what price is good for both of us. Basically saying, I don't care about volume. I don't care about selling enough copies to get everybody. I just care about how can I best make money off of this. And don't get me wrong, we all want to make money. I get that. But don't come before me and say, hey, my business model is to find out how much I can squeeze you. That doesn't work for me. Not as a creator, not as a listener, not as a reader. He talked about his uh, sliding scale of payments, where he's going to start off charging everybody a billion dollars or whatever. And then after a year, he's going to drop it. As though this was some new pricing strategy nobody ever thought of this before. What? You lower your price after a while to uh, accommodate the fact that people aren't reading anymore? Brilliant! But what it also said is, look, I'm screwing the early adopters if I can. I'm going to take advantage of my uh, core thousand followers, my 10,000 fans or whatever. I'm going to take advantage of them if I can. <sighs> anyway, so, yeah, you got Philip Seymour Hoffman. You got the Super Bowl. You got this jerk. And I just reached some point yesterday where I just flat out didn't care anymore. I don't mean I didn't care about any one of those. I mean, I didn't care about Twitter. I didn't care about Facebook. I didn't care about Google Plus. I didn't care about any of it. Now, this is actually kind of a big statement to make because I have put a lot of thought into how to promote on different vectors. How much is too much shaking your ass? What's the best way to get them more interested? All that kind of stuff. But I hit some point yesterday where I had like an out-of-body experience where I saw the whole world, billions of human souls. And then I looked at, out of those billions, there's maybe 20% that have internet access. Out of those, maybe 50% speak English. And out of those, maybe 1% are going to care enough about fiction to actually follow fiction writers. And I just, I just didn't care. I just hit this point where it was just this amazing freedom of saying, sure, I'm going to write. But I am not going to stress 
about social media. There was a uh, an article about Woody Allen written by a guy who did a documentary on Woody Allen. And so, of course, it's going to be biased. But I read it because of all the stuff that I'd heard. Here was something that was giving facts. You know, like immutable, you can look them up from independent sources, facts. And it really changed the way I saw the situation. It really opened up my eyes to Sung Yi's story, Dylan's story, gave me a better understanding of Woody Allen and Mia Farrow. And it did that not through impassioned please and please don't someone think of the children kind of stuff, but it did that through here are facts. And I thought that was interesting. I don't mind passing on something that I think is full of facts. So I passed it on. Retweeted. Pretty soon Matt Wallace comes back with basically saying this guy is totally brown-nosing Woody Allen. Though, of course, his language was a little different. (laughs) And about a year ago, if I'd seen that, I would have been angry, defensive, supplicating. I would have been, wait, wait, don't, don't be mad at me. But now I don't care. Not that I don't care what Matt Wallace thinks. I just, I realize he's presenting his opinion. Because I'm willing to bet he knows as much about what happened with Woody Allen as I do. Which is to say, none. So he expressed his opinion. I went up and I said, look, I'm just in it because Matt had more facts than anything I've seen before. Yeah, it's biased. But... Mia Farrow should have the same kind of article written about her, full of facts to support her allegations. And if she doesn't, we need to know why. That's all. And I felt really mature. Because because I gained that distance. I just didn't care. I saw social media for the entertainment vector that it is. <coughs> uh, don't get me wrong. I realize that Twitter can be a weapon of social change, all that kind of thing. But, uh, but I think that's an outlier. I think when uh, the Ukraine... Damn it, I did it again. When Ukraine sends a text message to all of their people saying you are part of a protest group, you'll be arrested, that kind of thing. That's important social change kind of usage. But I don't believe that everything it does is that important. I don't believe that social media is that important. So, warning. Warning.
so I just hit this point where I said it was just really easy to write. It made it really easy to sit down and just start pouring words onto a page. Yesterday, I had six pages of uh, of my script. I'd put maybe two days of work into it. I sat down for maybe half an hour to an hour, got up and I had 11 pages. And I didn't feel like, let's see how my books are selling. Let's see how my tweets are doing. Did anything get retweeted? None of that. I didn't get that feeling because I just didn't care. Which, having read the article, makes me think that I'm starting to turn into Woody Allen. Puts out a new movie every year and uh, never, ever, ever turns on a computer. <laughs> uh, maybe Alan Moore is a better example. But you get the idea. It probably won't last. I've spent way too much time in those social networking spheres to just give it up entirely. But for now, anyway, I just want to write. I just want to write and and I want to use social media to have fun. I don't want to use it to convince people about how wrong they are. So anyway, we have reached the front door and I hope you have a great day and hopefully we'll do this again tomorrow.